You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. was a man of faith. David saw the good in things. David really wasn't against King Saul. In fact, David really doesn't do anything ever during the entire time against King Saul. To the point of when he's in the cave and King Saul is standing right in front of him, he has the dagger and could kill him, but he simply cuts off some of his robe to let King Saul know that I was there. He doesn't kill him though. David acts admirably during the entire time. Many of us would find it hard to imagine what it would be like to have someone vehemently oppose us for years on end. To make it even more difficult to imagine, say we had to love and honor that person the entire time. In today's message, Pastor Dave reflects on both the faith and courage of young David, who was hated by Saul. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20, as he begins his message, Jonathan, the Faithful Friend. First Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then David fled from Naioth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing either great nor small without telling me first. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good towards David, and I do not send you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. 
But if it pleases my father to do evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So you remember last week we got through the last half of chapter 18 and all of 19. And we looked at the schemer Saul. Saul the schemer. We talked about that. The scheming king. How he devised deceit. How he devised and found all kinds of ways that he might kill David. But Jonathan had made a covenant with David. And he spoke well of him to the king, reminded the king of all that David had done. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 in chapter 19. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. Talking about Goliath. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance from all Israel. And you saw and rejoiced. And when they will sin against you innocent blood to kill David without a cause. Jonathan's questioning is valid. Jonathan has a right to question his father. There's no plausible reason for Saul to want to kill David. Other than paranoia. Fear and deceit. Remember, Saul is trying to hold on something that is not his. Saul is trying to hold on to a kingdom that God has already taken away from him. Man cannot hold on to that which is not his, including our lives. Our lives belong to Christ, our lives belong to God. We cannot hold on to what is not ours. There's no plausible reason why the king would kill David. David hadn't sinned against him. And he's done great works, not only for the king, but for all of Israel. This great deliverance that he gave them from the hand of Goliath. And from all the Philistines that he has killed time and time and time again. As the king has put all these schemes in front of him. You got to do this to get my daughter. You got to do that. You got to do this. We studied them last week. David was a man of valor. David was a man of honor. David was a man of humility. Now, remember, this is pre-Bathsheba, this is pre-numbering, this is pre-his sin, okay? So Jonathan speaks to his father, and the king relents and says that he's not going to kill David. Look at verse 6. So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Well, we studied last week that this promise was very short-lived. Very short-lived, because a distressing spirit came upon Saul David came into play for him, as he usually did. And what does Saul do? Saul throws two spears at him. So he, as the Lord lives, that's making a vow to God. That's swearing on the name of God. As the Lord lives, David shall not be hurt, shall not be harmed, shall not be killed. So David's there playing music, trying to soothe Saul, and he throws two spears at him. David had to escape. He had to go to his house. And with the help of his wife, Saul's daughter, He escapes from the house because Saul sends men to the house to get David. And he flees to Ramah, which is the home of the prophet Samuel. And he's looking for guidance, but more effectively, he's looking for a place to hide. He's looking for a place to hide out. And we know that during the time 
The men were waiting for David outside his house and seeking to kill him. He wrote that beautiful Psalm 59. We looked at it last week. I hope you went home and and read it. If not, read it this week. It's a beautiful, beautiful Psalm that David wrote while he was in his home and the men were surrounding him, trying to get him so he could be killed by Saul. It wasn't long until the king found out where David was and he sent the men there. (laughs) Then the Holy Spirit takes over. Because the men come to kill David, or at least take him and take him back to Saul, and they end up prophesying. They end up praising the Lord. Samuel is there in the midst prophesying to the Lord, which simply means at this point praising. Samuel is praising the Lord. They're having a worship service. And the men come, and all of a sudden, they're standing there praising the Lord too. And they're all standing around there because they've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. These men found themselves prophesying with Samuel. They who once wanted to kill David... And now they're praising the Lord. Well, as I read this, I was reminded of something very similar in the Gospel of John. You don't have to turn there, for I will turn there for you. It's in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. There's a question about who Jesus is. They want to know who this guy is who's causing all this trouble. They want to know who this guy is who's doing things on the Sabbath day that he shouldn't be doing and healing and causing all this trouble. They want to know about him. So they send men, just like Saul sent men against David. And they came back. And in verse 45 of chapter 7, the Apostle John writes this. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees. And the Pharisees said to them, why have you not brought him to us? In other words, Where's Jesus? We sent you to get him. The officers answered and said, no man ever spoke like this. No man ever spoke like this. And then the Pharisees said, are you deceived also? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is a curse, etc., etc. This is the same thing happening here. These guys went down for evil and God turned it for good. These men... Seeking evil. These guys wanted to take David and take him back to Saul so Saul could kill him. And God turns it around for good. Just like he did with these people. No man ever spoke like that. Sounds like the the centurion who was standing by Jesus' cross. Truly, this was the Son of God. No man ever spoke like that. So Saul finds out that David is hiding. He sends men there. They start prophesying, and Saul says, that's it, I'm going to Ramah. So he goes down there, and he ends up prophesying too. He ends up, Holy Spirit falls upon him, and he starts prophesying. Only Saul takes it one step further. He strips off all his clothes, and he's laying around in the grass, praising God. Praising God. The Holy Spirit is work protecting David. See, the Holy Spirit comforts and confirms, but he also convicts and strips when necessary. And this is what we see with the King Saul, the same Holy Spirit that was given to King Saul in chapter 10. Remember when he was first anointed king, he prophesied in power by the Holy Spirit that was given to him by God, was now prophesying against him. But instead of confirming his kingship, it was telling him and Saul, you're in deep mess. You're in trouble, pal. Chapter 19 ends with that. When they said, is Saul also among the prophets? It's kind of like a joke about Saul. Because remember, they said that at first, too. So this came back. So as we move into chapter 20, I broke it up into two parts because we see two different pictures of a father and a son. We see two different pictures of a father and a son. And I've entitled this one, Jonathan the Faithful Friend. Because in basically verses 1 to 15, you see Jonathan the faithful friend of David. 
And then in the final verses of the chapter, you see the spitefulness of the King Saul. So you have this dichotomy again, these two different feelings. You have Jonathan, the faithful friend, and you have the king who is spiteful now and really wants to kill David. So as we looked at these scriptures and we read them, we go back to first one and says, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks to kill my life? Jonathan was in Gibeah. And Gibeah, remember, was Saul's hometown. Jonathan was there. So David goes there. Now, a lot of scholars believe that David basically was tempting God. And I don't understand that. I believe David left for a good reason. I believe David left for a good reason because David wanted to talk to Jonathan, Saul's son, to see if Jonathan's, see if Saul's heart had changed. David was a man of faith. David saw the good in things. David really wasn't against King Saul. In fact, David really doesn't do anything ever during the entire time against King Saul. To the point of when he's in the cave and King Saul is standing right in front of him, he has the dagger and could kill him, but he simply cuts off some of his robe to let King Saul know that I was there. He doesn't kill him, though. David acts admirably during the entire time. Remember the scriptures? Can anybody tell me what it was said of David three times back in chapter 18 and 19? David behaved or wisely. Yeah, well, well will work. David behaved wisely. He behaved well. He behaved good. He didn't come against the king. In fact, when he, when he looks at Jonathan, he says, what have I done? Why, why is your dad wanting to kill me? I've done nothing. Every time he's had a distressing spirit, I've gone there and I played music for him. So that the spirit would leave. I've helped him. I went out against Goliath. I went out every time he said, he said, I want a hundred foreskins for my daughter Merab. And I went, I went out and got 200. What have I done? So these are good questions by David. He doesn't understand this. But he wanted to reconcile with Saul. And this sounds like David. A man after God's own heart. This sounds like David. He wanted to reconcile with God. And I think we can learn something here. Reconciliation with our enemies. Reconciliation with those we don't get along with. Reconciliation with those we might disagree with. If you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, if you've been born again by Jesus Christ and by His sacrifice, that means we're brothers and sisters. That means we're connected by that. And we shouldn't be arguing. We shouldn't be in disagreement. We should love each other. And there should be reconciliation. And that's what I see here. David wanted to reconcile with King Saul. He wanted to reconcile with him. And I love that about David. I wish I was more like David. I want to be more like David. In fact, I think I'll name myself that. <laughs> Too late. My mom already did. Too late. It's interesting to me that if you read a lot of literature, you'll find that David and Jonathan stand out above everybody as devoted friends. They stand out above the crowd. They're great examples. But Jonathan was in a very, very difficult situation. You might have been in that situation. You might be in that situation now. It's a situation where he had his beautiful and wonderful friend, David. But on the other side, he had his dad. Blood. He had David. He had his father, Saul, there. He was caught in the middle. Where does my loyalty go? Where does my loyalty go? Jonathan seems to go the way of right. You know what I mean? He goes the way of right of just, of righteous. He goes that way. 
And I love that about Jonathan. He has a difficulty. He's caught between his friend David and the loyalty of his father. We have conflicts within the family, and there are some of those painful difficulties we will ever face as Christians. Conflicts in our families. And I don't know of any of us in here who don't have some kind of conflict within the family with a particular family member. There are conflicts that happen because of our Christianity. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 10 talked about that. In Matthew 10, beginning in verse 34, Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a mother-in-law against her mother-in-law, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. These are hard verses. These are difficult verses for us to swallow sometime. But this is the message of Jesus. And it's reflected as this. this is part of his Sermon on the Mount. And it's a message of peace. But yet it calls each of us who are born again into the Christian faith by the blood of Jesus Christ, believing upon him on the cross, believing upon his resurrection, it calls us to a higher standard. It calls us to a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. And when we radically commit to Christ, and those of you that have know what I'm talking about, when you radically commit to Jesus Christ, people, your friends will fall away. Your family will fall away. They'll think you're nuts. They'll think you're crazy. They think you've gone off the deep end. Remember last week we said, oh, they got religion. (laughs) And there's a problem there. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is what Jesus was talking about. It's a message of peace, but it's a message of peace that divides those who would accept it and those who would reject it. It separates us. It separates those who accept the message and those who would reject it. You have two choices. In strong terms, Jesus explained to the disciples, must love and follow Jesus supremely. Supremely. And I'm happy. And Beatrice isn't here because our one son and granddaughter came down to visit. And she's spending time with them. But she would tell you, and I will tell you, in my marriage, I am extremely happy to be number two in her life. Because I know God is number one. We tried it the other way. It didn't work very well. Marriages must be based on God. And God alone. And when God's the center of the marriage, everything else falls into place. She loves God first, and then me, and then her children, etc. And that's the way it was designed. That's what Jesus is talking about. Our Jesus, our devotion to him must become before our household. It must become before our friends. It must come before our ministry. It must come before all those things. It must. That's what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 10. We should expect... That normally following Jesus makes us better husbands, makes us better fathers, makes us better wives, mothers, sons, daughters, and so forth. That's true. Yet there are times when the presence of Jesus divides us because of what Jesus said. And I love this quote from Gusick. The greatest danger of idolatry comes not from what is bad, but from what is good. Like love in family relationships. That's good. You want a loving family. You love your family. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love my I love them. But if I put them up before God, if I put them up before Christ, guess what? 
they become an idol. Anything that rises above Christ is an idol. Greatest danger to the best comes from second best. Christ calls us for supreme devotion to him and his will for our lives. So in verse 1, Jonathan and David confer about the situation. They meet and David confronts the friend and says, why? It's a good question. David hadn't broken any commandments, as we said. He hadn't broken any God's law. He hadn't incited rebellion against the king. He, but the king wanted them dead. And what's so interesting about David is very often we see him addressing God in his Psalms about the various hurts and pains that are happening in life. And one thing I love about David, and we talk about this on Sunday night when we go through the Psalms, David is a man of truth. David tells it like it is. David tells it like it is. He gets to God and said, God, I'm angry. I'm angry at you. These guys want to hurt me. They want to kill me. I don't know what to do about it. But the more he gets into it, and all of a sudden he gets to a point where he goes, but God, you're greater than these guys. You're greater than all these things. And if I just focus on you, everything else is going to take place. Everything else is going to fall in line. I love that about David. And sometimes we think that trouble from God is because we've done something wrong. Come on. Sometimes you think when you get in trouble or something happens to you, you think, oh, I must have done something wrong, so God's punishing me. How many times do you see that coming in your way? Yeah, I see the looks on your faces. Some of you are going, uh-oh, busted. You think that. Well, let me pose something else. Perhaps God is chastening you. Perhaps God is correcting you. Perhaps God is disciplining you. But hard times in your life don't always mean punishment. Sometimes it means preparation. The hard times in your life are preparing you for other things that might lie ahead. That's what I see happening to David right here. He's being prepared for the kingdom. He's being prepared to be the king. He's being prepared by God. I've told you many, many times that God calls a person. He calls a person in the ministry. And then he prepares that person for the ministry that he's called him into. And it may take years. But God prepares you. It's going to take David almost 20 years before he gets onto the throne. God had called him in the ministry as a young man. And it's going to take 20 some odd years before he actually ascends to the throne. And all that time is God's preparation in his life for what will happen. I told you about my story, 1993. I felt called of God to be a pastor. I read scripture that ministered to me. I I wrote other pastors who ministered to me. And I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. That didn't happen for 17 years. Preparation. When we are disciplined and we're chastened by God, don't always think of it as punishment because we've done something wrong. Sometimes it will be punishment. God wants to knock off David's rough edges. He wants to knock off his rough edges. And right now, I see David acting pretty great. David's acting pretty cool. He's acting really good. Paul talks about this, and James talks about it. Paul talks about this in Romans 5. In Romans 5, verse 3. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You are Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. 
You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Right now, we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m., along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.